overspending on advertising is the tax you pay for being unremarkable. And that's what a lot of a lot of companies do is right. They've got brands that aren't great, so they just keep banging more money into it. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades, the show where we share the top tricks, tips, and tactics from service professionals worldwide. Today, I'm talking to Dan Antonelli, the owner of KickCharge Creative. In the last 30 years, Dan has rebranded about 2,000 home service companies, including big names like Gettle and Gem Plumbing, Heat, and Electric. As a result, Dan has become somewhat of a brand therapist for the trades, which I promise will make sense when you listen to this episode. I hope you learn as much from Dan as I did. Dan Antonelli. You are the owner of KickCharge Creative. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Toolbox for the Trades. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to be here. I am really excited to chat with you. You and I actually partnered on some content back, uh, I'm going to say, the week before the pandemic really started. And I know that the two of us have just grown tremendously since that happened. So I'm excited to catch up with you today and really learn about what KickCharge is up to, what you're up to. But before we even get to that, I'm going to start this podcast the way I do every single one, which is how did you get into the trades? It's kind of a, you know, a crazy story, but I mean, when I was younger, I first started in the industry as a sign painter. So I was doing a lot of truck lettering and and hand-painted truck lettering for a lot of tradesmen. So probably the first van I lettered at 15 was for a plumber. So I've been kind of skirting in this industry for a pretty long time. And I thought I wanted to be a sign painter when I was younger. And then my parents thought, oh no, you should go to college. In hindsight, that was probably a good thing for me because then I really studied about advertising and I studied about branding and I got certainly a lot better education about how all this stuff really functions. So that was kind of a good thing. But, you know, when I graduated, I was working as a graphic designer for a while and I just missed working with small businesses. So I launched the business out of my basement in 1995. And then by 1997, I was able to quit my day job and do this full time. So right now we're in a a new facility. It's a few years old. I built it from scratch, which was kind of fun and, and branded the whole the whole space. And we have about 20 people on the team right now. So we, we focus primarily on working with home service businesses, whether they're plumbers, roofers, HVAC, anything to do with the home. So it's it's still, you know, 30 years later, still really rewarding, still really fun and exciting and, you know, energizing to really see how the work that we do impacts these small businesses. That's awesome. And did you just say 20 years? Because I think you're creeping up on 30 years of doing this. 30 years. Yeah, yeah. 90, 97 was full time. So yeah, I, we're getting close to 30 at this point. So it's pretty weird. Holy cow, that's insane, man. So just to give the folks listening a little bit of sense of how much of an impact you've had in the industry, how many service companies have you rebranded as of today? I think we're apl- approaching close to 2,000. We generally do around 150 to 175 per year. So usually about three per week. We have four illustrators on staff and brand designers on staff. Plus we have, you know, four other graphic designers uh, in addition to all the other account people that we have here. So 
Yeah, we, we do a lot. So it's, I don't think there's, you know, it's not like an ego thing, but I don't think there's anyone that's done as many home service brands as we have, which is kind of weird in one sense, but it's kind of cool in the other. So yeah, we have a pretty good amount of experience in, in doing this. So, you know, I think the interesting thing even about that is it's second nature to us, but for every business, it's a big deal, you know, and we have to, you know, recognize that it's a really, really big deal for what they're asking us to do. And so like our kind of mentality here, and it's, you know, really in our culture here is the idea that, you know, we need to design as if lives were at stake and recognize that our work has the ability to change people's lives. And, and I think that's what we all love about what we do is we see the impact of our work. And that's, that's pretty cool. And a lot of people here started out working for like bigger ad agencies that were doing work for big corporations, and they never really felt like their work meant anything or made a significant difference in anyone's life, you know? So now, now they get to experience kind of firsthand the results of our efforts. And even for me, that's still exciting. Like when the trade shows started happening again, and I started seeing people face to face and, you know, being able to talk to them and just hearing their stories about what the branding has done for them. Like, that's what it's all about. Like, that's our why. So, you know, 30 years later, that's still really exciting for us. And, and you know, that's the whole point of what, what we do. So it's it's fun. That's awesome. I'm so happy you clarified that while you were talking, I was thinking about all of the owners and operators I've had on this podcast who say, my why is the fact that I have to generate enough business to feed all the families that depend on my business, all the people that I employ. And I love how you have a very similar mindset in the work you do, even though technically you're you know, tertiary to their everyday business, but I don't know if tertiary is the right word. <laughs> like technically you're uh, adjacent to their business, but you're not necessarily in it. But the work you do is so dependent on how they succeed in their markets. So I'm glad that you clarified that you that you spoke about that a little bit. I would love for you to share a recent story. I mean, I know you have so many brands that you can choose from, but I would love for you to share, you know, maybe a recent one that you've done and some success metrics that came out of that particular rebranding. Sure. Yeah. One that we've done that we've got good metrics to benchmark the success of the campaign is, is a company called uh, Bueller Air, and they are in Jacksonville, Florida. And they came to us about three years ago and were changing their name. Their previous name was actually Air Source America, which is kind of, it's a good name if you're selling oxygen, but maybe not so good if you're selling HVAC. So he his last name was Bueller and everyone could remember his last name. So we decided, hey, let's let's run with this. And so we created this really kind of fun mascot that it's kind of like a big head on the side of his truck and he's got sunglasses up and Jason had Jason Bueller's the owner he, he had already kind of come up with the idea of a tagline which was stay cooler with Bueller and you know we launched it and literally overnight he launched it so he, he basically had five trucks waiting you know over the weekend to go out and roll out with a new name and, and we helped roll out the brand to all his existing customers with direct mail and email marketing so they knew that this change was was happening but what's really cool is he was he was around 2.5 million when we rebranded him and basically he's coming up on three years later now and he's tracking 7.5 so he's tripled the business in three years which is great but i think the the interesting thing is more related to the metrics about how he tripled the business. So the beauty of his campaign, I think, is that he spent less than 4% of revenue on advertising to achieve those results. And you say, well, how did, how did, how did you do that? Well, 
you know, he just became really, really sticky within his community. So everyone knew that brand once it got rolled out, they would see those trucks, they would kind of smile, and they would kind of make a mental note about that company and that funny name, right? So what we really saw was that the organic traffic went through the roof as far as how much inbound traffic was getting when people just typing in his name, not Jacksonville repair, you know, and a zip code or, you know, Jacksonville heating repair and or air conditioning repair and hoping he shows up. So that's kind of the whole strategy really behind what we do is we want to be top of mind for the homeowners so that when they need service, they're not going on Google and you know, and you're hoping that your company shows up at the top of the list, they're just simply typing in your name because they've seen your trucks, they've established an impression of your business already. Obviously, we want that impression to be positive, and they just go right to you. And the other th- really cool metric that we were able to figure out for him is how much revenue his trucks generated. Like last year, we were able to get some metrics on that. And with 18 trucks wrapped, it generated $1 million in revenue just from the trucks alone. As far as, so like the CSRs were tracking the inbound calls as far as, well, how did you hear about it? So it's like $1 million specifically towards that. And that doesn't even take into account how many people saw the truck and then just went online and went to the website directly and filled out a contact form too. So I think the numbers are actually even low, but we did the math on it and it was 18 trucks at like 35 to $4,000 a truck. They last five years, right? So divide five years by the total cost, and it comes out to around, let's say, $15,000 per year. So he spent $15,000 per year and generated $1 million in revenue. Now, I don't know any other medium that is going to give you that much of an ROI, but we see and hear that all the time. So, you know, the idea of how the brands play in the street and how that affects the overall marketing, I think is often misunderstood and, and often overlooked. So, you know, there's a famous saying by Roy Williams that, you know, overspending on advertising is the tax you pay for being unremarkable. And that's what a lot of a lot of companies do is, right, they've got brands that aren't great. So they just keep banging more money into it. And yeah, they start seeing results. But it's like, wouldn't you rather spend less money and just get better results with a better brand? So like, it always seems strange to me that we're just going to keep throwing money at a brand that isn't really functioning properly. When you, you know, if it was fixed, if your foundation is solid, then you really should need to spend less overall because the brand is sticky. It already does the job. And, you know, so Jason was a great example. And again, like we, you know, I was at an event with him last year in Vegas and he got up on stage and just said, you know, Dan Antonelli changed my life. And it just like blows my mind, like to have someone say that about the work that this team did for him. And, and again, like that's, that's our why, that's why we do this, you know, but just seeing, you know, not just how much he's been able to grow. I mean, revenue is a benchmark, but like how many people he employed, how many jobs he created, you know, what has it done for his culture? Like all those things are, are just really great positives that, that, you know, result of this work. So, you know, that's just exciting. And, and he's such a stand-up guy and he just runs a great business um, out there too. Like he's obsessive with the quality of the work that his team does, you know? So you look at his reviews and he's got probably a few thousand and they're all five-star. And you say, well, how is that possible? Like, how do you not have like a 4.95 or whatever the number is? And it's like, like the, the dude's a fanatic, like anything goes wrong and he's making sure it's right. It's fixed, you know, 100%. So that was, you know, definitely a really fun experience for us. That is awesome. If anyone at any time ever asks me, you know, is branding worth it? I'm just going to play them the last five minutes of this interview. (laughs) I love that you shared that Roy Williams quote. And I love that 
I wrote this down before when you were first talking, but the fact that your agency specializes in home service, I just want to comment on how, although you've done upwards of 2000 brands at this point, you still have managed to make every single one of them remarkable in their own way. And I'm also going to comment, it was so interesting that the case study you chose to share is kind of what we hear in the trades as this is what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't use your name because you're not going to be tied to the business. But in the case of Bueller's, such an iconic last name, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and also, you know, speaks to your knowledge and expertise in branding that you're like, you know what, this goes against like a core rule, but in your case, I think it's really going to work. So I just wanted to call attention to those things and see if you had anything else you wanted to add there. Yeah. I mean, it is it is a really interesting point because last name brands typically are a very bad idea for a home service company. It's going to take you so long for people to associate any specific deliverable with a last name brand. And also, even just when you think about, well, what kind of imagery do you use to associate that last name brand with? There isn't anything that that obviously comes to mind. Like even when we did the branding for Gettle, like the story of the boy holding the wrench had to be told that story. But you couldn't look at Gettle by itself and know why that boy was holding a flashlight. You know, so you had to rely on some other advertising channels to get that message across. Clearly, it's worked amazingly well. Like Ken's probably the biggest brand that we've created over the years. I think we did that in 2013, and he was a $8 million company at the time with like 60 employees. And I think now they're, I don't know, 200 million with almost a thousand employees. So when Jason came to us and talked to us about this going to a last name brand, I'm like, wow, this is kind of a first because this would be usually we say, no, definitely do not use your last name. But there were some aspects, obviously, of that name recognition that we thought we could leverage. And the idea was to build something that was unique, that wasn't really like a ripoff of the TV show, of the movie, I should say, and generate like a visual that people could identify with. And, you know, even the story of like, you know, how big his head is on the side of the truck. Like a lot of people generally might be really uncomfortable with that idea. And Jason was really no exception. Like literally the morning that his wraps were getting done, he asked, he called me and he's like, Dan, the head's too big. Like we got to make the head smaller. And I had gotten to know him pretty well. And I'm like, Jason, there is no way we were making the head smaller. Like we're just using this big head. And he's like, but it's so big, this head. And I'm like, yes, it is. And that's why everyone's going to remember it. So he's like, all right, all right, I, I guess we'll do it. So I'm like, well, you know, a million dollars a year in revenue later, I guess, I guess, you know, it, it worked out, right? So, you know, even having people like understand branding at that level, like the natural inclination for so many owners is to brand the way that they see everyone else branding, you know? So like that feels comfortable, right? Because I see what this guy's doing. I see what this guy's doing. I'm going to do something just like that because it seems to be working okay for those guys. And we tend to look at just the opposite is like, if everybody's doing it this way, then we're going to just do something completely different. Like that's the whole idea be behind disruptive branding is to not design brands that look like what everyone else is doing. And that sometimes is scary for owners because it's unnatural. You know, it's like, I don't know, like, yeah, the head's too big or the name's too, too big or the graphic is too big. or It just, just doesn't really look like an HVAC company or something like that. And those are real fears that people have. But that's the whole idea behind disruption. It's like, you know, the, the idea of the purple cow in the book that Seth, Seth uh, Godin wrote is, you know, that whole mentality of a sea of black and white 
cows and then suddenly see a purple one and then that sticks out to you as you're you're driving by so that's a lot of the same theory that goes on with what we try to advocate for is the idea of not looking like what everyone else is doing so you know making sure you know what the competitors are doing what their brands look like so then when you come devise a strategy for them it's it's different you know so I love that. I love that because your whole foundation is really on disruptive branding. From what I know of you, from what I've read in your books, from what I've you know had just in conversations. And I think this is actually a great segue for me to ask you. You gave me a sneak preview of your new book, which do you want to share the title and let folks know that that's coming out right now, actually? Sure. The, the title is Branded, Not Blanded. And the subtitle is How to Grow a Home Service Brand. So it really you know goes into a lot about what it is we're trying to do, like why disruption matters, like why consumer behavior is important in your branding decisions, how to build and design brands that speak to your target audience and makes them feel something about your company before you get there. Like people forget that branding isn't really that complicated as far as like what the mission is. It's really about trying to control what someone feels about your company before you actually provide service to them. Once you're there, like, you know, most of the companies, especially obviously people within the service Titan world, these are companies that are really heavily engaged in best practices. They've got operationally everything dialed in super well. So when they ring that doorbell and they're in that home, like there's procedures about how to service that home and how to treat that homeowner, how to how to do the sales process. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that before you even get to that front door, before they hit your website to request a quote, they've established some type of connection with your company that makes them feel something. And you often see too, like, you know, Everyone is really trying to think about how they can increase their average ticket sales and things like that. And part of that also just goes to what the consumer believes your company can provide as a value. And, and so they're okay paying a premium for something that they believe you know, holds value more so than their, their competitors. So if I can, I can have the homeowner believe that you're a premium brand before you get there, then sort of my, that's, that's the whole goal, right? That's really what we're trying to do. And the other part of it, of course, is just the idea of using the vehicles, using every impression as something that remains sticky in their heads. So when they are ready for service, they know who to call. It's not, it's not just at the whims of Google and your SEO company. It's, it's, you know, so that's what I say when we say about winning on the streets, it's because I'm trying to leverage each one of those impressions that are made with your vehicles. And I'm trying to make sure that, you know, oh yeah, I saw that van on my neighbor's driveway. I saw it in the, I saw it in town. I saw it again. And now each impression is, is signaling something to me. And then when I'm ready for that purchase decision, I know who to call instead of relying on Google to try to figure that out. So it's always going to be much more you know, efficient to try to win on the streets because the cost per impressions are the cheapest of any medium. Like you figure, figure your impressions of, of your vehicle versus your impressions on Google and how much you pay to just have your ad show up on Google. It's, it's absurd. Like it's just, it's like pennies on a pennies on a dollar compared to, you know, traditional advertising. So, you know, the reality too is most brands aren't really set up well to begin with and then the vehicles themselves can't function efficiently too so like people forget too like we have a lot of people call us and they want us to do like they love our our truck wraps and and the designs we do and then they want us to take their logo and create something that looks like you know the this the the rest of our work and it's like I, i can't because your foundation is is bad like there's no way i can get it to look like the work that you love on our website because the foundation is, is, you know, I don't want to say awful, but a lot of times it is awful, right? So, so we got to fix that first and then we could do the other pieces. But 
you know, if you want to stay with exactly what you have, like, I, I don't want to take your money for that because I know I can't deliver something that will function properly for you. Like, I just, I just don't want to take your money for it because it's not going to work. I love that. And you just said two things that I 100% want to dive deeper on. The first thing you said is that you can really, by providing a world-class premium brand, you are affecting consumer buying. So by that perception, a consumer, I'm guessing, is somehow, it will, if you have a premium brand, the customer will expect premium pricing and be willing to pay for it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's a, you know, a huge, you know, component to this. I mean, being sticky is great, right? But how does being sticky affect consumer behavior? And that's the other piece of it that is really, really important. So again, just the aspect of connecting with them in an emotional way, connecting with them in a story, right? So what is, what is actually your brand story? You could look at some of the biggest companies in the home service trade, and you'd be hard pressed to actually identify what their actual brand story is. There really isn't a brand story, whether it's related to some kind of, you know, like some of them are just to me really lame, like the idea of being guaranteed or satisfaction guaranteed. Like that's that stuff really is not connecting on an emotional level. Everyone's work is guaranteed, isn't it? Like why 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 do you think you're so special that you're that's your whole tagline, your whole brand promises are based around the idea that, you know, it's guaranteed. So what? Like who cares? Like everyone's stuff is guaranteed. It makes no sense, right? And the homeowner, and, and typically it's a woman that you're trying to connect with, she doesn't even really connect at all with that. Like it means nothing to that. But think about like what her fears are. What are her, are her real fears about hiring a home service contractor? Well, who's coming to her home? Like that's a big deal. Who she's allowing in her home while maybe she's there alone. Like maybe she's afraid of who's coming to her home. So how, how do we build a brand that speaks to an experience that she's going to receive that will be positive, honest, trustworthy, reputable, like all those feelings and counter that. So like to me, good brands counter consumer bias because consumers, they already have a bias against contractors in general, right? They all are afraid actually of contractors. Like, I don't know if I need a $15 transistor or if I need an entirely new condenser unit, I have no idea. Like that's your world. Like, you know, I just turned the switch on and I hope the thing works, right? So so how does the brand address that? How does the brand speak to them and make them feel comfortable in what you're recommending? Make them trust you, right? Trust is such a huge issue, right? So you find that sometimes too, that, you know, especially when guys are trying to get a little bit more money for their work or trying to increase their average ticket sales, and they may have the best sales training program in the world, but if they've got a really weak brand, it's very difficult to start asking for more money when you don't look like you deserve to be paid more money. Right. So why would I why would it's the same thing about buying like a MacBook versus a PC laptop, right? Why would I spend like twice as much on an Apple laptop versus a PC one? Well, my impression of Apple, and I'm a lifelong Apple guy, right? And the whole agency here is Apple, but I feel like it's a better product. So I'm gonna pay more and I'm okay with that. Like I don't feel like I'm being ripped off by Apple. I feel like I'm getting a great deal. So how do I make the homeowner feel like she's getting a great deal from me? Well, I, I make her feel good about the experience. I make her feel that everything that we say we're going to do, we will deliver upon it. And it's not just the truck. It's, you know, it's everything. So every single touch point has to speak to that experience. The ads, the billboards, the uniforms, the business cards, the website, the social media voice, like all these things have to speak to why, right? So you've got to identify to them 
why they need to choose you, why they need to trust you. And I think that that's the part too. Like I've seen some brands that, you know, maybe they're like even really overly aggressive in nature. Like the, the, the mascot looks like he's, he's running and he's going to beat the hell out of you if you don't pay. Right. How does that make Mrs. Jones feel like she's already scared with who's coming to her home? But you've got a super aggressive brand or you've got an aggressive brand name, right? That sounds like not warm and fuzzy, right? Like, so so thinking about those types of things too are really important, like as far as, well, what is the perception of this brand? And am I leading in with something positive, right? So so like I see some of the stuff and like I'm, I'm saddened in one sense because I feel like, you know, all I see is missed opportunity. I'm like, oh man, that's, you know, I, I hate to see this because- they probably don't even realize how this is impacting their ROI on their other marketing. And again, well, you can just keep banging more money at it. And yeah, you know, you'll start getting some sales, but I'd, I'd rather fix the foundation first if I, if I have the opportunity. Perfect segue, Dan. It's like I paid you to do it because that was my next question was foundation. You mentioned already that, you know, some folks come to you and they say, hey, here's our logo. Can you make our truck wraps look cool with this logo? And you're like, I can't do anything with this logo. So can you tell me a little bit about the foundation and, you know, when clients come to you and they're like, okay, we, we got everything. We have the brand, we have the logo, we got the mission statement, all this stuff. Can you just, you know, create a cool truck wrap. How do you take, how do you speak to them? And what are some of your beliefs around foundation that really have, that really have to be tweaked in order for them to really embrace a rebrand? I think, you know, if you look at, you know, I like to use the analogy of, you know, people say, well, what is a brand? And I like to use the analogy of a brand being a wheel. So at the center of that wheel is your logo, right? Because everything, all the spokes that go to build that wheel are all the implementations of that logo. So you've got, again, like social and the truck wraps, uniforms, website, voice, all those things. But if that hub in that center of that wheel is, is jacked up and it's not round, right? Then you, then you can't build a round wheel from it. Like you could push it and it'll, it'll turn, but it just takes so much more effort and, and effort translates into money. Like that's what it takes. It takes more money to get a weak brand to actually perform. So fixing that foundation is the most important aspect to building an effective marketing campaign. So it's, it's like, if we're working against that, then everything just becomes marginalized. And that's, that's just not even for the truck. That's for everything. That's for your the ROI on your website. That's for your billboards. Like that's for everything. And I think that that's what guys too sometimes don't realize is is you know even the voice on a on a website is so important because even if, if Mrs. Smith hits your site and the three below you and all three of them sound exactly the same, like it was written by a robot meant to address SEO only, there's no connection being made there. It's simply a ploy to get your site to show up higher on on Google. Right. So, and I get that they have to get to your site first, but the idea of these, these generic websites that don't speak on voice, that don't connect with the homeowner, like it, it makes no sense to me. Like you can still build sites and write content that has a voice, like a legitimate brand voice, but still addresses the needs of social search engines without, you know, sounding like a robot. So I think that guys miss that, miss that idea too. Like a lot of people think brand is so much focused on just the visuals and what the visuals speak to, but the voice of that brand that's integrated on your social and your collateral and, and your website is, is also just really important too. Like we've written content for, for websites, for brands we've created. And, and they're fun, like they're engaging, like you want to read more because, you know, we do some fun things with like puns and, and, you know, really kind of 
you know, personal type of content. You know, heating and air is heating and air, right? It's not the most exciting thing to write about, right? But we can make it fun. Like we can leverage aspects of that brain. We can build it into, into the story. And certainly if you hit a site that we've designed and written versus the three underneath us, it's so different, the experience, not just the visuals. Like I think we kill it on the aesthetics, but the content is also really different. So going back to the original point, like if that hub is jacked up, like it's not, it's not going to turn very well. You know, it's just not going to spin very well. So it's really difficult to to have all these aspects that you know the spokes that go out and make this wheel uh, function properly if we don't start with a great foundation. That's awesome. I'm sorry, I'm just like riveted. I'm like applying it all. This is what happens whenever we talk marketing on this podcast because I'm also a marketer by trade. So I'm just like talk more. So talking a little bit more about the foundation, and you've already mentioned, you know, there are some folks out there in the trades who are kind of just copying what they're already seeing out there. So creating a sea of black and white cows, like in that book. What can you talk to me a little bit about what it means to like elevate that foundation? What are some common like foundations that you see that you're like, oh, here's another, I know one of the answers is going to be, here's another fire and ice logo that I have to try and rebrand. So like, talk to me a little bit about that. Like when you see something like that, like how can we make this different? Like how can you start applying some of the things that you've learned to really create a remarkable brand? Well, you know, to your point, and it's a, obviously a great example, the fire and ice or the, the fire and snowflake thing, or the amazing red and blue arrow thing that, that you see so many guys using. A lot of times we look at that and I can't, I can't leverage anything from there to do something new, right? So, so there isn't any equity from those types of visuals, those types of, of brands that I can find a really more unique and compelling way. Like how, how unique and compelling can I create a snowflake and ice or snowflake and fire graphic? You can't, like it, it all winds up just looking like generic clip art. And I think that that is where you have to dig deeper and you have to say, well, what, what is different about your company that we can leverage in a story? What kind of story can we tell with different graphics or different visuals? Or can we create maybe a mascot that we can then leverage? Maybe that mascot then goes to all the different trade shows. Maybe all the kids are taking pictures with it, with their family. Like, how do we start thinking about creating a connection? Because there's nothing to connect with the fire and, and ice graphic. What, what are we saying? You're saying you do heating and air big deal. Like, so what? Like everybody does heating and air. Like why, why does, why does that unique and compelling? And that's also, you know, just goes to the idea of trying to think about it in a way that feels unnatural. Right. So you got to try to think outside of that box and say, what's different, what's unique. Like we're, we're doing a, a brand for company and we're using a hummingbird right now. And I was joking with the client. I said, you know something, I don't think this is, this is our first hummingbird. You know, and it was kind of cool for us because I'm like, you know, we've used different animals, we've used different people, but like it was the first hummingbird and we have like a, a really cool tagline to go with it. We have kind of a story because hummingbirds are really well known for certain traits, certain positive traits. They're very, they're very detailed. They can arrive fast. So I'm already speaking to some of the things that a consumer wants. They want someone to arrive fast. They want someone that's very detailed, right? So that image will go towards that. Even the branding that we did for uh, grasshoppers another, is another company, right? So, so why? a grasshopper grasshopper heating and heating and cooling like why like that almost makes no sense but there's so many amazing aspects about a grasshopper that amanda who's the owner was able to leverage in her story that makes it so unique like grasshoppers can only move forward they can't actually go backwards 
You know, so forward is a way of life is actually her tagline and basically her whole vision statement. The whole company operates under that idea. And the consumers, oh my God, like they have just loved everything about what her brand signifies and it's connected and and her growth in one year is just absurd. Like it's just amazing what she's been able to do, but people really connected with that. But if if I literally like said, hey, I got an idea, let's let's make your company named grasshopper like it sounds crazy like it doesn't even make much sense but like the idea of how we wrap the story around it like it's it's just an amazing connect and no one's going to confuse the grasshopper with the 10 other red and blue arrow brands in, in in her market you know and she was another company that came to us and their previous name was and, and this is just goes to show you because it was a bad name i can't remember it it was with initials. It was like PMC Comfort Heating and Air, so, something like that. It was initials like PMC Heating and Air, let's just say. Well, where do you go with that? What do you do with that? What kind of story can I tell with it? I got I got nothing. Like I literally have nothing to do that will make that a really compelling brand story. So, you know, we talked to her about that name, Grasshopper. And, you know, I want to say sort of the rest is history, but like you have to be willing to really think about it from a, a different vantage point. And I think sometimes that's hard. You know, it's interesting because people hire us and I feel like they know what they're getting into when they hire us. Right. I feel like like if you're hiring us, you know what we do. Right. You've got you've seen our stuff. You know, what we do. But I feel like, you know, we we spend a lot of time almost like a brand therapist. I want to say we're like brand therapists. Right. Because like they ask us to do stuff that is outside the box sometimes. And then you have to you have to walk them off the ledge and you've got to you've got to have them trust you to take that leap because it's scary and it doesn't feel natural what we're telling them that they should be doing. So I feel like there's there's that component of, of helping educate them on the whys behind what we're recommending and then just making sure they're they're okay and they're comfortable. And, and I know it's scary. So we, we got to really kind of get them on board with the idea. You know, even like Jason Bueller, like my head's too big. Well, no, 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 the head's good. This is okay. Just let it go. It'll be okay. You know, so there's an aspect of that. And that makes sense. It's their baby. Like I get it. Like we rebranded this agency and I know how scary that was for me. So I have an appreciation for changing the name of a company. I did it myself. Right. But the idea of disruption to be truly disrupted, it takes a little guts. Like it takes some guts. Like that's, that's the end. You know, if you want to look like everyone else, we're probably not the right place to go to. Cause we suck at that. Like we, we suck at making you look like what everyone else is doing. But if that's like really where your comfort zone is, you probably shouldn't hire us then because I'm, I'm going to try to force you out of your comfort zone. I love that. I wrote down brand therapist and I underlined it because I actually had a point. I actually thought of that a few moments when you first started talking. I was like, he's like a brand therapist. And then you said it. So and I see you have a couch behind you. So it totally makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, I think we, it's worth, it's worth us to pause right now and just say like rebranding your company, especially if you're already a few million dollars in revenue is a tremendous undertaking. And I cannot imagine the position these owners are in if they say, oh my goodness, what if I screw up? And now my business, I, I run my business into the ground. If this is a family business, that's been multiple generations, I'll be the generation that screwed up you know, there's so much pressure. And again, going back to what I said earlier, looking at the faces of all your employees and saying their families depend on me to generate business, to keep them fed, keep them sheltered, all that stuff. Like this is a big freaking deal. So when someone comes up to you and says like, Hey man, my brand's been working for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, what have you, why would I change it? What would you say? I think all I see in those scenarios is I see opportunity. 
And I'm impressed with the success they've achieved with that poor identity, but I'm equally saddened because I know how much further down the road they would be with a better brand, right? So, you know, I have a saying, it's actually a big sign here. It says success in spite of a poor brand is not a valid reason to perpetuate it. And, you know, we really believe that. And, and listen, we've got hundreds of examples of the success that happens after rebranding. Like we really started measuring and benchmarking, you know, rebrand like a year later. Well, what was the revenue increase? And we've really never experienced a decrease in revenue for anyone that we've ever rebranded. Like it's just never happened. So I think that that's why sometimes too, for me, I'm, I'm like, this is going to work. Like I know it's going to work. Like I'm not guessing about whether or not this is going to work. Like we've done it way too many times to know what does and what doesn't work actually. So I think that that part of it too, and what happens to your point too, Jackie, is like some guys get like, once they start getting to a certain level, then the idea of rebranding almost becomes like something that they can't, they can't do because they feel handcuffed by how big they are. So they're like, okay, well, if I rebrand, I've got to change all my trucks. I've got to change my uniforms. I've got to change the, like, so it becomes daunting, right? It, the idea of it becomes, becomes daunting, but like we rebranded gem. They're a service Titan customer up in new England. They're like a hundred million dollars and we rebranded them. And the results after that rebrand were, were crazy. So that wasn't a company that said, you know, we're at a hundred million, screw it. Like we're growing every year. Why, you know, we're just going to stay exactly doing what we're doing. It seems to be working. But like, when you look at the revenue increase that they saw after even the amount of leads that they got from their fleet after rebranding, it was like a 16 X return on the number of revenue that the new branded trucks generated, you know? So the number was actually four times the amount of revenue with only 25% of the fleet wrap. So extrapolate that out. That's a 16x return there on just rebranding the trucks. So, you know, I think guys get complacent. Some guys get in a space, they're making money and it's all good. You know, I'm fine with that. So when you get in that space, they're, you know, they're not really into the idea of rebranding and that, and that's fine. But I think when you see even what's happening with private equity and, and you see sort of the premiums that are being pre placed on better branded companies, to me, that's a great argument as to why you might want to make an investment in branding because those companies are seeing higher multiples. It's not just all about the numbers. Of course, the PE guys are looking at numbers and they want to know EBITDA and all that stuff. And that's great. But like, how is the brand recognized within that community and how does it speak to the people that they're trying to sell? And, you know, I, I know a lot of examples of companies that we've rebranded that have sold to PE and, and I know firsthand that the brand came up in a lot of discussions, a lot of negotiations. They talked about the strength of the brand. So it's not just that you're going to increase revenue. I think there's, there's a return down the road. If you ever decide you're going to sell the business I think that it's a really smart investment to consider at least even you know even at 10 million 20 million you know we we've done the gamut you know of course when you're smaller it's you're more nimble and it's a little bit easier to maneuver and to make those changes but I think guys think that when you rebrand that like overnight like 50 trucks are going to get rewrapped and there's just a period of time where both brands coexist and and that's okay as long as the rollout is done in a manner that the consumers understand what they're seeing in the market it's really not a problem. Like, you know, so I don't really get like, I think it's just more helping them to understand how much better their marketing could be functioning if they fix the foundation, you know? So it always seems strange that we're just going to keep banging more money at it instead of just fixing it. Like, you know, 
one might cost a little bit more initially, but long term, you're going to spend a lot less. So again, it's easy for me to say, you know, I guess, but... (laughs) I just want the audience to know that Dan has literally answered every question that I have yet to ask him. I literally was going to ask you about uh, PE in this space because I'm noticing it too. Like a lot of the people I know who are who are selling to PE, they've got fantastic brands. And that's just another value driver to a PE company that's going to you know increase your premium. Did I use that word correctly? <sighs> yeah, right? Yes, yes. The amount, the amount it's sold for? Okay, yes. Dan's like, what, am I supposed to re- correct you right now? But we've just talked about a lot of great stuff. And I'm sure there are a couple of people listening. Maybe they have the Fire and Ice logos. Maybe they have the initials names. And they're thinking to themselves, wow, maybe I really need to consider a rebrand. Where would you recommend they even get started, considering it is such a big initiative, whether you're small or big? To get started, meaning like, how do they go about doing it? Yeah. Like if they think like, I've got, you know, I think I've got some stuff I need to change. Like where should they get started in terms of getting the ball rolling? Well, I I mean, obviously try to partner with an agency or a design firm that has a lot of experience in in the space and understands that, you know, part of the process certainly has to be trying to think about what's unique and compelling about your business and how maybe that could be communicated through visuals and through a brand story and through, you know, what the consumer would be seeing. I think also just trying to really be open to the idea of reimagining the experience that the brand will communicate. And I think we haven't even really talked about this either, but people forget that the branding aspect too is not only just for the homeowners, it's also for their internal customers, which is their employees and there's their employees that they're trying to hire. So you hear a lot of people say, I can't find anyone to work for me. No one wants to work for me, right? I mean, Jackie, you, you probably have done a million podcasts where people say the same exact thing, right? So oftentimes, like, you know, if I'm on a Facebook group page and somebody says that, I'm always just naturally curious. I'm like, well, I, I wonder what the company looks like. Does it look like a place that I would want to work at or not? So that also is an aspect where you have to look inward and you have to say, well, how do we even look to a potential employee? Like, does it look like a place that I would want to work at? You work into Ken Goodrich's place in Vegas. Do you think a potential employee that works into Ken's office in Vegas thinks that this isn't a stand-up organization that he would love to be a part of? Do you think Ken has the same recruitment problems that that most other companies have? I'm sure he's. It's. I'm sure it's still hard, and everything he's doing to try to just recruit people and and bring in fresh talent or people that and train them properly is great. But like you walk into that space, and it, it already speaks so much about the experience you might have working for Gettle. And you're like, this place is legit. This place has their act together. So a lot of times it it signals to not only the consumer, it signals to your internal customers that we're trying to keep up with the times. We're trying to be progressive. We're not being complacent. And that's usually a really positive thing for your employees because they recognize the fact that you are concerned about their welfare. You are making changes to ensure that they have a future in this company. And so like considering that aspect of it too, I think is often overlooked when they're you know, overwhelmed with the idea of rebranding, but it'll solve not just some marketing problems, it'll solve some internal marketing problems as well. I, so I'm so happy you brought that up because that actually has come up in the episode with Cassie, where she talked about, you know, for, you know, we're not only marketing to our customers, we're also marketing to our employees. We need to make sure we're creating a place where people want to work, where people feel compelled to apply to. And brand has so much to do with that. So I'm so happy you brought that up. 
I have a few more questions I want to ask you just because I could honestly talk to you forever, but we keep circling around this idea of the brand story, right? And you mentioned uh, one of your clients who, you know, now is Grasshopper and they're always moving forward. And that's the symbolic of, you know, that new image, that new logo with Ken, you know, it's the kid with the flashlight, which is the famous Ken Goodrich story. There are a lot of HVAC, plumbing, electric businesses out there that all essentially do the same thing to varying degrees of, you know, how well they do it. How do you begin to extract a brand story to make that business that does what a lot of other people do really interesting to the consumer and really compelling to a prospective employee? Like, how do we start working and massaging a compelling brand story? Well, you know, you know, going back to even like what what Amanda has done at Grasshopper. So the foundation of their mission is rooted in the idea of forward as a way of life. So as as a potential employee, that's spoken to, that's that's talked about, right? And and that becomes a really really important part of their culture. So I think as we think about brands, we always are trying to think about again the two different audiences, of course, and then how can you create that a more compelling brand story that will connect with both audiences and then feels like to your point feels different than what everyone else is is saying and sometimes it's sometimes it's it's a brand story that's rooted sometimes in humor or or something that's a little bit more fun the branding that we created for Dugan Air as an example of another one that has a a story that also speaks to what the consumer is worried about so their their branding for Dugan Air has like a, a really big head that's more like an Irish looking leprechaun kind of guy, right? And and of course Dugan Air, the owners are, are Irish. But the tagline that we wrote for them is is premium service, no shenanigans. Right? So we're already leading in and saying the idea of you'll get a great experience and we're not gonna screw screw you, basically, right? No sh- no shenanigans means we're not gonna screw you. And that's that's part of what the consumer is worried about. So it's a really big head. It's it's got a plaid, the bottom of the truck wrap is actually plaid, you know, and it's just so much, you know, it's fun. Like it's a fun brand. But now like everyone within that community, they know that brand. And there's a story to tell that goes along with it. So aspects like that, just trying to take an, an aspect of of the visual and then create words and then create themes that go around that. Like obviously when we, when we did the branding for Ken, we knew that there was going to be a story to go behind the boy with the flashlight. We knew there was going to be advertising and radio advertising and, and things like that to help tell the story. But if you don't have quite as much of that advertising that is going to happen after the brand launch, you know, you've got to try to make the rest of the other mediums to tell as much of that story as possible. Like, like Ken's didn't have a tagline or anything. It was literally just the boy the ghetto logo, and and that was really it, right? So so the other mediums help support that mission and that and that brand story. But if we don't have as much to put into advertising, then then we try to make the most of what we can. With obviously tagline becomes something that's important that helps lay the foundation for a bigger brand story elements. And then again, going back to what we talked about is content, content on the website, the voice of the brand. You know, people people forget too that even when it comes to social, like. Remember the, the 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 voice of your brand on social has to have a personality. Like you have to imagine that your brand is a is a physical being. It's like a person. How would they talk to you? How how would they respond to you? Would they be fun? Would they be folksy? Would they use puns? Like any of those things all really help build that story together when they function, you know, collectively together. I love that. Thank you for expanding on that a little bit. I thought that was 
I just thought that was really great. <laughs> I feel like I'm just learning my own marketing skills. All right. I got some final questions for you. I like if anyone's watching the video, they're just looking at me like you finishing your sentence and me just going, that's great. But I've got a couple of uh, final questions for you. The first one, which I'm actually really curious about is what do you wish more people asked you about in regards to the work that you do? Hmm, that's a tough one. I wish they understood more about the process, I think. And maybe that's you know partly our fault as far as just not really explaining about how we go about doing what we do. But I, I think because a lot of companies aren't really, they've never dealt with an agency like us. And so their only experience might be with like, you know, maybe they crowdsourced their logo. Maybe they went to a sign shop or something to get their logo. But when we, you know, start with a client, like our briefing process, the process that we use to learn about their business is actually really extensive. Like we, our brief that they have to fill out, like it's, I think it's 20 pages long. And there's a preamble that is basically an education. It's almost like teaching them about what we're about to do so that they really understand the process and they really understand what it is that we are trying to accomplish. Because I think, again, too, that comfort level comes into play. So I, I wish that they you know, understood more about the concept of, of disruption. Actually, I'm, I'm hoping my next book that I'm writing will answer that. Like, I th I'm actually just thinking like, I have to send anyone who wants to use us, like they have to read this book before they start working with us. Like, I'm going to make a required reading and they'll have to summarize it in, you know, a thousand words afterwards. But I think that, you know, and, and it's not their fault that they don't really understand that. It's not, it's, it'd be like me trying to understand, you know, how to, how to run a, you know, run, run a line set to a condenser unit. Like, I don't really, you know, that's, that's not my world. Like, don't you just drill two holes in the house and just put the copper stuff through? Like, isn't it that it, you know, and it, of course it's not it, but that, you know, that's, that's, you know, so sometimes I just wish that they understood a little bit more about it. But I think, I think the nice thing about I feel like today, as compared to even 10 years ago, is there there is much more chatter about it. There is more people appreciating that we're basically packaging HVAC service into a brand. Like if you're walking down the supermarket, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's competing for your attention as you walk down that aisle. Companies have spent millions of dollars trying to get you to turn your head and look at that. HVAC service or plumbing service, it's no different. It's how do you package this to make them want to turn and look their head and then buy from you. Like that's what it is. So I don't think people really get that part of it. Like that it, it's literally just like, if you could package HVAC in a box, what would, what would the branding of that box look like? That's what we're doing is like, we're just creating package design for HVAC services. So that was probably a little bit long-winded, but anyway. No, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating answer. If you could give yourself one piece of advice from early on in your, in your career, what would it be? I think I would say trust your people more. I think that that's something I've learned over over the last year. Like I actually had double bypass surgery in a year ago, actually, like almost a year ago last week. And so I couldn't work for a while. And my team just stepped up. And then I recognized even more apparently than I had before, what an amazing team I have and to trust them with more responsibility. So that experience was great. And I, and I wish I kind of learned it probably a lot sooner because I think, I think I would have allowed them to grow more by giving them more responsibility. So that experience has probably been one of the best things that actually ever happened to me, which sounds kind of crazy, but it really allowed me to step back and to just let people hear 
do some of the great work on their own without me even needing to be involved in that. So I think that that's definitely one thing that I, I have learned from it. And and I think from a culture standpoint, that's even been a very big positive here too. You know, I promoted some people and they're just running things and it's and it's great. Like I come here and I, I, I do my thing and I get to work on stuff that I love, like logos and brands. And then all the crap that I hate to be involved in, like HR and, you know, stuff like that. Like I don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. So I get to focus focus on what I, what I love, which is great. That's awesome. And I'm happy to hear that, you know, it ended up being a good thing and that you are here talking with me healthy. Glad to hear that. Yeah. It was super cool. Not dying. Like it was awesome. You're like 10 out of 10 would recommend not dying. If you had to choose a song to be the soundtrack of your life, Dan, what would it be? So there's a, I'm a big fan of the band Rush, okay, which may date me or make me feel or seem old. But anyway, there's a song called Losing It by Rush. And, and the, whole, the whole point of the song is, is dealing with, it talks about a writer and a dancer who have essentially lost their skills as they've aged. And there's a line in there that says, sadder still to watch it die than never to have known it. And, and sort of what that means is, you know, being at the top of your game and then having your skills decline and, and, and not being able to retain that. So I sort of look at that as kind of a, a anthem for me in the sense that I never want to think that anything that we're doing today is really good enough for tomorrow. And I sort of refuse to accept the fact that we can't get better or that we can't improve and that the only place for us to go is is down. Like, so I'm always like, trying to figure out how we can become better, how we can do better brands, how we can do, you know, function better as a company, all those things. And so I never want to look back and just say, oh yeah, I remember, you know, remember back then, like we were awesome. And then it's, it just sort of has gone downhill. So that's a really hard benchmark to say that every day we're going to be better than the day before. Like that's really hard. Like, you know, sometimes we do a logo and somebody says, that's the best logo you've ever done. And you're like, shit, like that's really going to be hard to now like do better than that. Right. So that's like, a, you know, sometimes it's hard to hear and you look at it and you say, yeah, this, this might be the best we've ever done, but then the next week you're trying to do something even better. So, so that song, you know, I think really speaks to that idea of really just trying to make sure that nothing you do today is good enough for tomorrow. I love that. And no hate on Rush, man. I know people of all ages love Rush. So you are in very good company. Also, every person I know who quotes a Rush song is generally a very good person. And that's just complete total bias. So I'm glad to know this about you. Dan Antonelli, you are joining us for Pantheon in 2022, in case anyone's listening to this, I don't know, years in the future. You're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff that you did not even get to cover today. Can you give us a little sneak preview about what you're going to be talking about? Well, obviously, we're going to talk about something related to branding, but we're going to, again, talk about what we touched upon a little bit regarding branding and consumer behavior. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on, on how branding addresses consumers, how they speak to consumers. We're going to have some really cool case studies. We're going to have Tom Howard, who's going to join us and talk about his rebranding experience that he went through with us and what that has done for his business. So I think it's going to be really cool just to kind of hear you know, the technical information about what I'm going to present, but then also to hear from Tom as far as what the branding has meant for his business. And, and you know, Tom and Tom is, is big on data, right? So he's got some really awesome data to really support the theories that we're talking about. So I think it's really cool. 
Awesome. I'm so excited to see it. I invite you guys to chat, to join us if you can. This is going to happen April 20th to 22nd in Los Angeles. I'll have more details in the show notes, but Dan, thank you again for donating an hour of your time to geek out with me on brand. I learned so much and I just, I really enjoy listening to you geek out on it. You are a total expert and certainly a brand therapist. If you ever rebrand again, that's how you should do it. I think. Okay. Thank you. It was great to see you again, Jackie. Are you looking to build a top tier service company? Service Titans Contractor Playbook is a handy guide to help you get where you want to go. Authored by the industry's greatest minds, this free all-in-one playbook will help you set your company up for success. Learn how to provide excellent customer service, establish your company's culture, market to new and existing customers, and more. Just go to servicetitan.com slash get playbook to access the free digital guide. That's servicetitan.com slash get playbook. Thanks so much for listening to Toolbox for the Trades. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you open the app and leave us a rating. Just tap the number of stars you think the show deserves. See you next time.